Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, the owner of Townsend Family Law and an experienced family law lawyer practicing in all areas of divorce law in the city of Toronto. Welcome to Divorcing Well. On this week's episode, we have a fantastic topic, which is so relevant to so many people. It's rebuilding your wealth after divorce. And I'm very excited to have as my guests, Kemi Dodder and Sandy Bragger. Welcome to the podcast, Kemi and Sandy. Thanks, Leanne. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Why don't we start uh, by having each of you tell listeners a little bit about uh, your background and the work you do. So why don't we start with you, Kemi? Great. Thanks, Leanne. Yeah, I'm Cammie Doder. I'm the chief marketing officer at a wealth management firm called Asperient. We're an independent um, national across the U.S., have some clients outside of the U.S. borders. And so my role is to help future clients of the firm go through their discovery process and find the right firm to serve them and their financial needs. And I love what we do at Asperian. It's all about helping them achieve their values and goals and partnership and education. But sometimes that's not right for someone. So I, I think of myself as being uh, a champion for for people because I really think having an, a, a wealth manager or a financial coach, advisor, I think is really important. So I love doing that. And I'll just quickly say I got into the profession, gosh, long ago, out of coming out of business school. I went into private client services and I was really attracted to the independent world of wealth management, which is where Asperience sits. Super hyper-focused on our clients who happen to be high earners, they're business people, own family businesses or other types of businesses. They they lead and execute on these businesses and they're looking for this wealth management partner. I love that I, I found an independent firm to work with. And in my function, I'll say one other part, I get to bring to life the brand of the of the company. And that's something I love doing. That sounds fantastic. And how about you, Sandy? Leanne, I'm one of those people who is practicing her dream profession. Ever since I was a young person, I've been interested in money and how people make really good money decisions. And that's what I focus on every day at Asperian as the chief client officer, really bringing all that we have to offer to life for our clients, helping them understand what's most important to them, the purpose of their wealth, and how to pull everything together and plan to achieve the the, the goals that they've set out for themselves. That's that's wonderful. Um, you know, money's such a, I don't know, still a bit of a taboo topic. It's something people, you know, they're uncomfortable talking about. I think even more so women are. Um, but, you know, I just think generally as a society, we'll, we'll ask somebody all kinds of other personal questions before we talk money. And certainly uh, in relationships, money uh, is a plays a big role. Um, and in divorce, it plays a humongous role. Um, often differences over money management or spending habits is a, can be a cause of divorce. And then you know, people going through the process, uh, you know, inevitably when you go through a divorce, you're going to end up financially further back than you were when you were married because two people together are going to have more than each of those people on their own. So, um, you know, which brings us to our topic today, which is rebuilding financially after divorce. So, um, I'll start with you, Sandy. Like, what are some general things that people should keep in mind with respect to their finances, you know, when they've gone through a divorce and, you know, maybe had their net worth cut in half and feel like they're 
you know, maybe in their 40s and 50s and having to rebuild? What, what are some general things they should be thinking about? Well, firstly, Anne, um, I think the very first step is to just take a, a moment and breathe and realize the transition that you're going through. Um, people think that the transition is completed when the divorce papers are signed. And in my experience working with clients, that's not the case. Uh, the transition might take another year or year and a half to complete. So I think it's important to focus on in this new phase of this reforming of your identity, what is really most important to you? What are your values? What are you trying to achieve? And when you are able to bring some clarity around that, it's much easier to focus on your finances and have a sense of what is it that you need your finances to do for you to achieve this life that you want post-marriage. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, And I don't know if this question would be better suited to you, Cammie, but does everybody need a financial advisor or if there's somebody out there listening who thinks, you know, like, I like, I don't really have that much money. I, I gave it all to my ex. I'm, I have nothing, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do with a financial advisor? Is, is that something everybody should have? I guess everybody doesn't need it. I think there's, let me, let me restate that. I think everybody would benefit from a financial advisor, financial coach, a wealth manager. I think everybody would. It is so hard to see stuff from a, you know, unemotional, unattached way and really make thoughtful decisions or even just to bring out some of these deep underlying concerns. So now that can sound self-serving since Sandy and I are partners at a wealth management firm, but we just believe in it. And I I personally believe in coaching in general. What what gets you to a, a level, it's it's really hard to push past that. And as as you hire a wealth manager, if you have the resources and it makes sense, you get to then really be guided to learn to be educated. So those are really valuable. You know, but we also recommend that there's so many resources out there that people can leverage and and choose resources that fit with you, you know, so if you're not a book reader, don't pick up the finance 101 book, right? Listen to podcasts, watch videos, listen to your wonderful podcast. We learn so much through storytelling and life that we really recommend. And, and Sandy and I are co-hosts of the Money Tells podcast, where every week we talk to guests about their stories. And through these stories, you learn financial literacy insights. And that's a component of having a wealth manager is getting educated. What are some of the common struggles? And this, this might be a question for, for both of you, but we'll start with, with Sandy. What are some of the common struggles or problems that you see you know, that a lot of people seem to have with building wealth, whether it's, you know, when they're first starting out or, you know, rebuilding after a divorce. Oftentimes people are focused on the goalposts instead of the goals. So they have a dollar amount in mind. There's some amount of wealth they're trying to accumulate and they're measuring where they're at today versus that, that goalpost. What's the gap? That's different than having goals, having goals of wanting to live a particular lifestyle or to travel or to be able to buy a home, right? All those things I just mentioned require money. They require some level of financial resource, but it's, they're not specific 
dollar amounts that people are focused on. So I think that's a starting point, Leanne. And I'm curious if if that's resonating with you and what you've seen with your clients as they are looking to rebuild wealth after after divorce. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's what, you know, what someone's goals are always going to be important because people have different different goals. And, and, you know, and it could also vary based on stage of life, like whether you're divorcing in your 50s or 60s versus at 30, um, your financial goals are probably going to be very different at those those ages. That's right. When you have a goal, just like when you're the car heading to a destination, if you have a goal in mind, then you can plan for how you're best going to get there. And that helps you make decisions about what you're going to be doing with money you're earning. Are you spending it? Are you saving it? If you're saving it, are you investing it? How are you investing it? So it, it's all almost like a, a flow chart that comes together, but you have to know where you're going first. That I really like sense. Sandy's use of goals and goalposts. And we hear from people that divorce or not, it's pretty easy to move that goalpost. And so you're always out chasing more. But if you don't stop and connect with the values and what are the priorities, then that goalpost keeps moving. And in the divorce situation where the assets have um, now been reduced, that idea of like set that goalpost, think about the values. And then another concept we talk a lot about is chip away at it. It all doesn't have to be solved tomorrow. Figure out the priorities and chip away at it. Yeah. And I think that's really good advice in the context of divorce, because again, going back to the idea that this is a really big transition. So there's a lot of things that you have to do post-divorce on a financial on the financial side. But as Cammy's mentioning, it doesn't all need to be done right away. And a strategy that we work through with clients is really trying to chunk out the to-do list. What's urgent? What has to be done right now? What has a little bit more time? Maybe maybe I can get it done in the next three to six months. And what what can I hold off on? What can wait? Um, that really helps reduce the overwhelm and allows for um, for focus. And I think also a sense of renewed confidence around decisions people are making. I, I think that's great advice because it, it's true. You know, when you're going through divorce, it is so overwhelming, and there's so much on the legal front that people have to do and have to be involved in, and information and documents you have to be getting to your lawyer that it can be so overwhelming. And so, you know, when you're looking at your own finances to be able to, you know, break it down into what, what is an immediate priority and, and what can wait, that that makes a lot of sense uh, to help clients, you know, not just completely shut down from overwhelm. That's right. And, and Leanne, getting back to your earlier question about does everyone need an advisor? Um, advisors come in all shapes and forms. Uh, and And sometimes the the best help an advisor can be is is helping you sort through that to-do list and in really helping you prioritize. Because when you're in overwhelm, it's hard to make decisions. It's hard to know what's more important um, than other things. How important is good credit uh, when you're wanting to rebuild wealth or build wealth generally? Because, you know, I see situations of, you know, happens more often to women who, you know, perhaps were a stay-at-home mom their whole life. They had supplementary credit card. They, you know, never had any debt in their own name, um, but never were, you know, built a credit rating. So they don't have one. Or on the flip side, I see people who, you know, they their partner had bad spending habits and they weren't able to control it. And they ended up, you know, defaulting on mortgages or they ended up because of their spouse, they jointly declared bankruptcy or, you know, these sorts of things. 
So if somebody has bad credit, is that going to be fatal to being able to, to build wealth? It's not fatal. Um, it's a hurdle, but fortunately it's a hurdle that can be removed over time. Um, and usually within a three-year period. So if someone's starting off with bad credit because of things that happened during the marriage, the best way to get on track is to do all the things that you need to do to improve your credit score. So paying bills on time, paying them off fully, using credit cards, but not maxing them out, using you know maybe um, a third to, a third of the available balance to um, cover your expenses. So those are those are some things to do to help build your credit. It is harder, I think, for people who get divorced and they don't have any credit um, because it can be difficult to get a credit card. And the credit card is usually the starting point uh, that we recommend for clients to, to get credit. And one of the things that I tell folks when they get married is to make sure that each partner continues to keep at least one credit card in their own name so that they can keep credit during a marriage. But if you're someone who is exiting a marriage and you don't have uh, credit in your name, I do think um, that is one of those good to do actions in the first few months after divorce is trying to begin to build credit in your name. It can be helpful if you want to um, rent an apartment or buy a home or lease or buy a car. Having, Having credit makes financial decisions a lot easier if you have good credit. Definitely. And it's empowering, right? Like, as if you don't have credit and then you have to get someone else, whether it's your ex or a parent to act as a guarantor or something on something. I mean, that can be very, I don't want to say humiliating, but it can definitely, you know, it's not something, a situation people really want to be in. So it's much more empowering if you can, you know, have a good credit rating yourself and and not have to need the help of other people. That's spot on. But again, um, credit scores are are indications of our credit history and our credit habits. They're not indications of our personalities or in our worth as human Great beings. Great comment, so Sandy. It's just something to, to bring to mind because I have seen um, clients. I actually met with a client just last week who was freaking out because her credit card, her credit score was a 700. Yeah. It's okay. You're good. <laughs> you, um, this isn't one of those things where you have to be a plus plus. So um, it, it can be the, the credit scores can be in a distraction. So you want to make sure that you're focused on the right things about it. Yeah, Sandy, you're raising such an important point. We've heard from one of our guests that some people really take it as a their score as a symbol of their value or a reflection of who they you know I am bad if I haven't have a certain type of score. And that just doesn't, that's not right. It it doesn't mean you can't improve it and it's important to prove it, but it's not necessarily some like mirror of who you are. No, exactly. And I don't know, from what I've seen with a lot of things, if there's a will, there's a way, like I've seen people who you would never have thought were going to be able to qualify for a mortgage, but you get the the right mortgage broker working on the deal and they can sometimes, you know, really do some magic with things. And so, you know, often there, you know, maybe the easiest solution isn't going to work, but if, if you're creative and you can work, find the right people, you can put something together. And Leanne, that's, that's one of the reason why we encourage people to talk about money more often, 
Because if you're in a situation where you're sort of struggling, maybe it is with finding you know a loan uh, that you need or a credit card, and you talk to your friends, they might know someone who can help you out. Um, there's so much power in talking and sharing our experiences. It's when we keep things to ourselves and we assume everyone else has it figured out um, where we create more work for us. For sure. And like, and this question could go to either of you, like, how, how do we do that? How do we start making it less taboo to have these conversations with family and friends and, um, you know, so that people don't have this shame situation when, when they shouldn't. So we, we encourage folks and we, we provide some tools and, and tips. We have provided tools and tips and really a lot of different ways. Um, one ask for permission. Okay. I want to, it's okay. If I ask you some questions about this, sometimes that easy. Sometimes we recommend just ease into the conversation. If you're having a money conversation, one, you can say, Hey, I heard about, I heard someone talk about this on a podcast. What do you think? That's one way. Some of it's to ask about just as they're growing up, you know, tell them, tell me about when you started experiencing money and money had values. So there's some ways to just kind of warm up the conversation but I know I've gotten better at really having these money conversations with friends, colleagues. And what I find, the minute I ask, it's a lean-in moment. Su- people are super excited because they had that same question or something similar. And that we're all learning together. It's really been eye-opening that what I might have perceived as, oh, I, I shouldn't bring this up is really something that a lot of people feel. And the minute you broach the subject, everybody's leaning in and saying, oh, I've had that same question, or I did this, consider this. And it's really powerful. I think one additional idea to add to what Cammie is saying is to approach these conversations with curiosity rather than judgment. We're all used to judging ourselves. We're used to judging other people. And in society, anything related to money is judged. Oh, they, they have too much money. Oh, they don't have enough money. You know, it, it, there's no way to, to be perfect. So do everything you can to remove judgment and lean into the curiosity. I wonder, I'm curious. What if? Those are all great ways to approach fen- friends and family and sometimes even perfect strangers. We can learn the most <laughs> just meeting someone at a cocktail party and asking yeah. a great money conversation or a great money question. We actually have heard sometimes people are more comfortable having the awkward, harder conversations, maybe around debt or things like that, that they talk to people they don't know. And sometimes that could be that could feel a little bit more comfortable, but we'd like to encourage even talk to friends and family. Yeah, that's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people have that. They want to project their image to family and friends. They do, they don't want them to know necessarily the truth of what's really going on. Um, so they're more comfortable talking to a complete stranger um, versus someone who, you know, probably really cares about them. And because they care so much, might be able to add some value, to, you know, to the conversation. Um, not to say that a stranger couldn't as well, but uh, it's it's just interesting. People are just so generally uncomfortable talking about money. And Leanne, in my experience, this is where people going through divorce can really struggle because their identity and their money identity is caught up in the marriage. And if post-divorce, that identity has shifted significantly, 
it can cause them to feel embarrassed. Um, it can cause them to feel shame, to feel loss. Um, and, and that can be really hard. So sometimes you do have to kind of give yourself some opportunity to raise awareness about how you're feeling and how you're orienting to get comfortable in a very financially altered post-divorce situation um, as you enter into these money conversations with family and friends and maybe even your community, right? Especially if you're someone who is very involved in um, nonprofits or, or, or that sort of thing and can no longer participate in that way. What do you say to someone out there who might be listening, who, uh, you know, is in a marriage or a relationship and their partner is the one, you know, handling all of the finances and they're really not familiar with the family finances at all. And they say, you know, I, I trust my partner, um, you know, when I'm okay with that, do you have, do you think that that's a good situation or would you have some advice for somebody in that situation? I think trust is an important thing and it is important to trust your partner. If, if you've delegated responsibilities and your partner is, is handling the financial aspects, but I think it's very healthy and important for both members of the marriage to know what's going on financially and on all other aspects too. So we do recommend that married couples or people in committed relationships get together at some some frequency to review the finances, to understand what's going on, not out of a lack of trust or concern, but more from a perspective of being informed and being partners together. And I think that's a really great way for uh, people and especially women, because historically as women, uh, we, we live in a still very patriarchal society. And many of us haven't been raised or or taught to lean into personal finances. And so if you're coming from that perspective, uh, I would encourage you even more to get involved, at least from an understanding so that you you know why your spouse is making certain decisions on the family's behalf. We sometimes hear, I'm, I'm sure we all have heard this, that finances, investing, that's just not my thing. Yeah. Or I don't get it. It's just not my thing. And we like to maybe abolish those words, <laughs> get them out of the dictionary, because honestly, it just probably has been how it's been brought to, if, if you felt that way, it's probably how it's been presented to you. And that there's, this is just another part of your story. And it's really important to understand. And so feeling that confidence to ask questions and if you are using and working with an advisor, I love Sandy's encouragement, like lean and have these conversations, go to those meetings, even though it might not seem like it's your thing. And the more comfortable we are around asking questions, and if you don't understand the response, asking it again, and if you don't get responses that you understand, don't blame yourself. It might be the other party who's not really answering in a way and really are are encouraging anyone out there if that's not your thing start again chipping away at that lean in start the conversations ask questions sandy's comment about be curious it's it's just fun be ask questions yeah sometimes just reframing and changing your mindset 
can produce a whole new world of opportunity to learn and to be involved in, in maybe a different way that you'd like to be involved. Well, it seems like mindset is like, it's so important to so many things. And it sounds like from everything you're saying with respect to money and managing money and building wealth, that mindset is really important and sort of tied in with that. um, Is it ever too late? Um, You know, if there's somebody out there and they're, you know, 55 or 60 and they're, you know, they're telling themselves like, I, you know, I'm too old to rebuild at this point. Like I'm just going to live hand to mouth, I guess, or paycheck to paycheck and work till I drop. And that's going to be my lot in life. You know, is it too late to rebuild it at a certain age? Never, never, (laughs) never. You're never too old. Um, People, People are struck with ideas and motivations at all points in life. And the more lived experience you have, the more insights and wisdom you have. And so I think there's so much opportunity to draw on that, Um, whether it's creating a business that you might not ever thought you would want to create, Um, whether it's changing careers. Maybe it is living a little bit differently so that you're not working all the time, but maybe you know you're you're not spending as much money either, but you're you're spending more time in nature uh, and, and doing things um, to keep yourself healthy outside. There's so much opportunity, and I think um, you can never you can never be too old. And the more tuned in you are to your finances, to what you're looking to achieve with your financial resources and how you can align your other resources, your intellectual capital, your social capital, all of that can come together uh, and help you achieve what you want to achieve. I truly believe that. With age, you've learned all these concepts through life. You've learned about compounding and not even just in your finances, in your knowledge. You've learned so much. You learned about risk. Oh boy, you understand opportunity cost. You might not use those words, right? But you've lived it, so you understand finance. You just don't use the terms that are that you might hear on on the TV programs. What are some of the most important steps that someone can just take initially? Say they're newly divorced. They didn't work with a financial professional before. Um, perhaps they have a little bit of money from their divorce settlement, and they're just they don't know what to do. What, what, what are the sort of some important things someone in that situation should do? First off, um, take a piece of paper out and write down all of the things that you want for your life from this day forward and get really clear. How do you want to be spending your time? What, what do you want to be doing? What's going to allow you to sleep really well at night? And then start thinking about how much resources are going to, how much resources will you need to achieve what you've just described? And how do those resources compare to what you have currently? And if there is a gap, then you can start thinking through, well, how am I going to close that gap? And you just start developing a plan to work on that. I think it can be that simple, Leanne, as a start. And you just start building from there. As you create more resources for yourself, then you can begin to think about things like risk risk management. How are you going to protect what you have? 
you think you can think about estate planning, you can start putting all the other pieces of a very comprehensive, well-designed and integrated financial plan together for yourself. But you don't need that at the beginning. Just take some time and get really clear on, on what it is you're trying to achieve. And then when you have the time and the resources, that's when you can start thinking about what external partners do you want to in your life to help you achieve your dreams? And maybe there, maybe there are not enough resources and you can't, but you might want even money coach. Uh, you might want a life coach. You might, at, we've talked to divorce coaches, um, a wealth manager, you know, there's, there's, that's the next place to take. I love this white sheet that you've now filled in your prioritize and when it's ready, look for other partners. We don't need to do all this stuff alone. That's great advice. Any final pieces of advice for listeners just on this topic that we haven't touched upon? Based on my experience working with many couples who have gone through divorce, the key thing to keep in mind is that the divorce is the beginning. There's so much possibility available. It's the beginning and you have an entire life ahead of you to continue to plan for. I want to remind people to take that expansive view. There's opportunity. Yes, one phase of your life has finished, but a new phase is beginning. And focus on how you can live that phase to the full extent that you would like to and do what makes you truly happy and drives your purpose. I'll say it maybe a little bit differently, Leanne, I, in my role in marketing and talking to future clients of the firm, I see angst and, you know, it's, it's overwhelm. And I, I guess my, it's, it's in line with what Sandy just said. And it's this reminder that this too shall pass and just keep reminding yourselves and you'll get through it. You're smart. You do the, you have all these opportunities to take control and first breathe. I think that's how you started it, Sandy. Just breathe. Breathing helps think that's, so much. Oh, Oftentimes I, the best financial to, advice. I have to remind myself on, on life. It's the best life advice. Definitely. It even works in the legal uh, world as well. <laughs> but. For sure. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Um, you provided so much helpful information. If listeners would like to learn more about you or potentially work with you, how can they find you? LinkedIn is often just a great resource, uh, or you can go to our website at asperient.com. You can contact us through that, but both Sandy and I are uh, really reachable via, via LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out to chat with me today. Leanne, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for your work. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people 
that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits mm-hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.